Greetings, Embers, and welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. I would like to give a very special thank you to the reformed members of the channel. C.A.G., Interscare Wifey, Denise S., Through Scrutiny, Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Normie D.W., Christy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's niece. If you would like to become a member of the channel or buy me a coffee as a special thank you, the links can be found down below. If you like what you are hearing and it's your first time here or you've already been here, please don't forget to subscribe, like, share, and comment. Not only does it help support the channel, but it also reminds you of every time I upload a video. With all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes. For once we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and a happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab a snack, or tuck in to get warm, and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Backwoods Creepy Stories. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that, there will be no more ads within this video. About 25 years ago, I went hiking in Fossil Falls, just outside of Ridgecrest, California, with some friends. Once we hike down the falls, we get into the opening of the canyon and start smelling what smells like something dead. As we walk on, the smell gets stronger. We decide to find out what it is. We came upon an area where the smell is just overpowering. On the surface of the ground in this area, there appears to be a couple of oil slicks pulled up at the top of the surface of the ground which appears to have actually been recently dug into. We attempt to dig down about six inches, but the smell is just beyond anything we can deal with. We decide to leave and call the cops. The cop gets down into the canyon, part of the falls, picks up the smell and tells us this isn't a good sign. As we get closer, but not even to the place where the smell is coming from, he starts calling in lots of reinforcements, more cops, helicopters, etc. He told us that for something to generate that kind of smell, someone would have had to buried a deer or something of similar mass to make that kind of smell. When we called the cops to follow up on what had happened, they told us that it was just some chicken skin and bones. No human remains were found. The official story completely conflicted with what the cop, who had previously been a homicide investigator in L.A., had told us. When I told a co-worker what had happened, he reached out to a higher-up that he knew at the Department of Forestry Service, or something like that. And when he relayed the story, he was told, How did you find out about this? You shouldn't know about this, and these guys should forget about this immediately. My theory is that someone was killed and buried on government land, Fossil Falls in U.S. government land, and they didn't want it to get out. There is no way in or out of that canyon unless by military access from the China Lake Naval Weapons Center. So, my wife and I enjoy hiking, camping, and being just out in nature. We aren't experts or even heavy hobbyists by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something we like to do a few times a year. About three and a half years ago, we decided to go on a spontaneous overnight trip in the forestry we live near. 
We know the trails well there, and it's pretty popular, so we didn't do much planning. Just figured we'd go find a nice spot and enjoy some alone time. We drove to the trails, parked, and began our hike. A little over a mile or so in, we discovered a minor trail leading away from the main trail. We decided to head that way and explore some, eventually taking a deer trail down to the lake. We went around a few coves and eventually found a nice lakeside spot to set up. So at this point, after a slew of bad decisions, we're set up. Everything is great until the next morning when we pack up and head the way we came. I guess we got mixed up and went up the wrong hill because after about an hour, we realized we were totally lost. No trails, no landmarks, nothing. We went the way we thought would take us back to the trails for seven hours. No food, ran out of water, were basically screwed. Fast forward a bit and we have finally hit level ground, so we take a rest. A few minutes in, however, I look up and out of the corner of my eye, I see someone pass behind a tree and disappear. Now, it was probably my mind messing with me considering the circumstances, but regardless, it spooked the ever-living crap out of me, enough that I grabbed my wife's hand and led her to the opposite direction. Within a few minutes, we were suddenly on a trail we hadn't noticed before. Taking it led us to a graveyard that marks the end of the main trail. A couple miles later, we reached the car and went home. Now, chances are it wasn't really paranormal, but something about how it all ended up working out and the fact that we stumbled across the trail leading to the graveyard has always stuck with me. Not the silliest encounter, I'm sure, but it was an interesting experience, to say the least. I live near Lake of the Woods in northwestern Ontario. This one time, a friend and I were mountain biking on a hot August day when we ended up on a trail in the bush where there is an old abandoned car graveyard. Nothing too scary, it's pretty normal for people to scrap their cars in the bush around here, so we carry on. Buddy and I are excited to explore the area because there are a lot of interesting vehicles and parts to build jumps with. We ended up sticking around for about an hour or two until dusk was starting to set in when we came across a black 1950 Buick Roadmaster that looked like it got halfway through restoration. That's when we realized that something was sort of off about this place. There were no properties near this spot for miles, and it was very strange that someone would abandon such a beautiful car halfway through a repair. My alarm bells were ringing, but only a little, so we carried on, as we were pretty beat from all the riding we were doing that day. We decided to find a place to rest and walked a little more into the trail, towards a small dirt pile, when we immediately realized that something was definitely wrong. The place was littered with animal bones from different animals. There were deer skulls, rabbits, dogs, and what looked like feline bones. I'm starting to feel a little sick to my stomach, but my buddy seems unfazed by it. 
I can't tell if he's the braver of the two of us or less intelligent at this point because I keep telling him with increasing urgency that we need to get on our bikes and get the hell out of here. He tells me I shouldn't worry and tries to rationalize it by saying that it was some hunter illegally dumping here, despite the canine bones. He walked to the other side of the dirt pile, turned around, ghost white, and said, We need to get the hell out of here now. I managed to peek around and caught a glimpse of what was on the other side. Holy Jesus damn it. Someone built a shrine here. At this point, I'm screaming inside of my head to leave, and I scramble to grab my bike and my backpack. As we're about to pedal off, we hear someone shouting, Hey! To the right of us, in the thick. I've never bolted so damn fast out of somewhere in my entire life. I tried to get a glimpse behind me. There was an old man in a plaid shirt and blue jean overalls, at near the dirt pile, with a shovel in his hand, shouting at us and gesturing us to come back. When we thought we got close enough to the main road, we decided to take a break to catch our breath. My friend and I are soaked with sweat, chugging our water and completely unsure of what we just saw. We sat on the road for about five minutes, relieved that nothing became of it, and talked about what it might have been. My friend still is trying to rationalize it. Suddenly, we can hear a loud room. My heart skipped a beat. He started the effing car. We peeled it down the main road to his house in what felt like two minutes for what should have been at least a ten-minute ride. I could feel the lactic acid building up in my legs from pedaling so hard. Gears maxed out, even going uphill. This was 12 years ago. To this day, I still don't know what was happening down that trail, but I'm glad I never stayed to find out. I've been running in these woods for as long as I can remember, but this might make me change my mind. The story began at around 6.30 p.m., I had just finished eating and decided to go on a run, as usual. I always use the same path, cross the street, run for about a kilometer, and pass the gate that goes into the woods. Something important to note is that the trail I use in the forests is separated about halfway through. One path is paved and the other isn't. I usually go into the unpaved path first and then turn into the paved one after about three kilometers. Nothing ever really goes wrong. I meet some rare people walking their dogs, but other than that, I'm pretty alone. At least I thought I was. I had been running for a while now when I heard a notification coming from my phone. An airdrop notification. Since I didn't want to make it look like I was worried, I kept running for a couple of minutes and then stopped to change the music. I opened the airdrop dreadfully. Who the hell was sending me stuff? I was pretty sure I was alone. I clicked on the drop and my heart sunk. It was a Snapchat picture of me running with the caption, You look good. I didn't turn around. Instead, I kept running like nothing happened until I reached a certain point. 
You see, the forest is surrounded by a fence to stop children from coming in unsupervised. And I didn't like that role when I was little, so my friends and I cut a hole in it. When I was aligned with that hole, I quickly turned and buried myself into the forest, aiming for my escape. I could hear ruffling behind me, and I still didn't turn back. When I finally reached the hole, I jumped through it and absolutely booked it to the fire station that was a couple of streets down. The last things I could hear were leaving the forest was an angry huff and metal meeting metal. I still don't know who it was or what they wanted from me, but I never ran in that forest again. So, if any of you or anyone else runs into this creepy stalker, I suggest you book it out of there as fast as you can. File this under unsettling, but not creepy or supernatural. 17 or 18 years ago, my fiance, now my wife of nearly 16 years, Myself and one other couple were hiking the Pyramid Point hiking trail in the Sleeping Bear Dunes of northwestern Lower Peninsula of Michigan at dusk. We had my old film camera with a 200mm zoom lens on it. We go to the overlook, which looks northwest over the Montu Passage to the Manitou Islands. We watched the sunset and entered that late dusk period that seems to last forever during a northern Michigan summer. It was probably 10 p.m. at this point. There were high winds and solid waves breaking on shore below us. The Pyramid Point Overlook is maybe 150 to 200 feet above Lake Michigan. But it didn't look at rougher than many evenings on Lake Michigan where five-foot breaking waves are fairly routine and windy nights and crashing waves provide great white noise for sleeping in a tent. We were camping elsewhere. There's no camping at this trail. While standing and talking, we saw a light flash once out in the water between the islands and the mainland in the vicinity of the North Manitou Shoal Lighthouse a crib lighthouse standing alone in the water, not inhabited or staffed, but tempting for visitors, I would assume. Not sure enough. We stopped and looked, but weren't creeped out by it at all. After all, boaters are out in the stretch of water fairly regularly, though not in high winds and waves. I grabbed my camera to look through the zoom lens and could make out what appeared to be a small boat. Though it was difficult to tell with a 200mm lens, it's a 7 mile wide stretch of water to the nearest island, so we were probably 3-4 to four miles away from the actual light. We had flashlights, so we shined our light, which from several miles away might not have even been visible, in the direction of the light we'd seen, waved it around. Immediately, the light came back and started flashing SOS in Morse code, which was a huge surprise to us. We weren't even sure our lights were bright enough to be seen at that distance, and given that the stretch of shore is almost all forested, we were just a little spot several miles away. We were suddenly full of adrenaline and concern. Two of us ran back to the car, half a mile through the woods, in the dark, down a hill with our flashlight and got a cell phone and binoculars. While we were gone, the folks on the lookout had no light source 
At the car, we called the Coast Guard from our cell phones. It was 1998 or 99, so these weren't smartphones by any stretch of the imagination. We explained to the Coast Guard that someone was flashing SOS at us out in the water and that we were hikers observing this from the Pyramid Point overlook. They said they'd send a ship to look over the sea and we asked them to hurry. At this point, we ran back up to our overlook, half a mile up a steep hill, with binoculars, our phone, and our flashlight. Atop the overlook, there was no cell signal, so we had to pocket the phone and had no further communication with the Coast Guard. With our binoculars, we were able to see a guy in an aluminum rowboat, rowing like crazy with waves breaking over the bow of his boat. It was nearly pitch black outside, so we were only barely able to make this out. Maybe it was 10.30 or 10.45 at this point. And during Michigan summer, it's still light enough outside to see well. He could occasionally turn around, flash SOS at us, and go back to rowing. It was disturbing to be several miles away, completely helpless, while we watched this guy struggling in a rowboat in the dark. It got dark. We could not see anything anymore. But every few minutes, the man in the boat would flash SOS at us. He did not appear to be making any progress toward the mainland, but he was clearly drifting northward through the Manitou Passage. Every time he flashed, we turn on our flashlight, shine it back at him for a few seconds and turn it off. We did not know Morse code and we had no cell signal. We stood and watched for what seemed like forever, completely helpless. The man stopped flashing his light. It was too dark to see his boat. A tugboat that didn't appear to be a Coast Guard ship showed up and started doing a grid search pattern through the passage with bright lights shining from the boat into the water. The Manitou Passage is probably six to seven miles wide and six to seven miles long, so it was a slow search. A smallish Coast Guard ship started doing searches at the northern end of the straits, also with bright lights. They met in the middle of the straits, having done a zigzag-type pattern for what felt like an eternity. Then they sailed off. They did not appear to find anyone. We drove to a bar in Glen Arbor to see if there was anything on the news. There wasn't. We called the Coast Guard the next day, wondering if we'd seen a man die or help the rescue, or neither. But the person on duty had no idea what had happened shift change perhaps, or that we had called the night before. To this day, it's unsettling to me, knowing how harsh the conditions can be on Lake Michigan, and knowing that we'd seen a man flashing SOS at us through our binoculars just before it got dark was really bothersome, though not as bothersome as the poor guy in the boat who had to be wondering why we weren't doing anything for him. No closure. No happy or sad ending. No ending at all, really, other than going back to our camp and hitting the sack. I do wildlife photography, so I go hiking every Sunday and have been for about a year now. With the frequency I go hiking, it might be surprising that I have two experiences. Or maybe not. 
I'm not sure about frequency. Both my experiences take place in the western part of Wisconsin. My first experience was at a semi-defunct state campground in the middle of summer. I say semi-defunct because there was a newer gravel parking lot by the gravel road and a gate off-road leading deeper to what used to be a paved parking lot and paved RV and campsites. It's about a mile from the gravel parking lot to the paved lot, and this walk goes just fine. The road continues past the paved lot for about a mile, then splits into almost non-existent trails. It was after I got past the paved lot that things started to get strange. I started to get a feeling that was hard to describe. It just felt wrong. Every step I took, I had the thought, you shouldn't take another step. You should turn around. This feeling kept growing and growing in intensity until I got to the end of the road and I just couldn't take it anymore. And I turned and went back because I had the strong feeling that if I went on a trail, something very bad would happen. The walk back to the gravel lot was just fine, and by the time I got to the lot, the feeling was completely gone, and I looked for A-gates on the gravel road. The second one, I will say, I think was probably just a deer, but I'll let you decide. This hike was in the early fall. I went off trail, down a gully, and followed a small creek. All in all, it was a good hike until I rounded a bend and saw a cave. My initial thought was to go check it out. Then that nagging feeling was like, no, 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 something bad is in there. I was admittedly thinking more along the lines of homeless person. As soon as I turned away, I had that same being watched feeling. So many people describe and I just had to get the hell out of there. So I backtracked my steps and was about two miles into the hike back when the feeling suddenly got much, much stronger. Eyes darting all over the place, I was literally almost walking sideways on the trail. Then, all of a sudden, there was a huge crash behind me and to the right of me. I didn't see anything before or after the crash. This is where I think it might be a deer, but I didn't see anything. This feeling intensified all the way until I got into my car and locked the doors. It got better as I collected myself in the car. I don't know how to explain these. Could just be an overactive fight or flight response, but they stuck out so much from all my other experiences that I can't help but think of them. Let me know what you think. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Alright, so every year my family has this huge family reunion with like a hundred people that go to the same campground every year. One of the things that some of us do is a ghost walk. 
there's a dirt access slash logging road that goes out of the campground and up into the mountains. And even though it's kind of against the rules, we'll walk up it in a group until we're sufficiently creeped out. Sometimes, if we're filling up to it, we make it one to two miles away from the campground up into the pitch black hills. We have a no flashlight rule to help preserve our night vision and to add the creepiness. This comes into play later. So, this year, the group of 10 to 15 people had left without me and my stepson, he was 15 at the time, so we decided we were going to sneak up on them and see how close we could get to them without being noticed. We trailed them for well over an hour on the walk and were definitely well over a mile, if not two, from the campground, sometimes getting within 20 or so feet of them. My goal was to sneak right up and grab one of the people in the back, but that didn't happen. Sometimes they'd get super jumpy, so we'd wait a bit for them to walk ahead. One of these times we were hiding just off the woods, just off the side of the road. We both saw a dark outline of somebody and a dime light about 5 to 10 feet away. It looked like someone had a small flashlight and was holding their hand over the beam to try to keep hidden. I was mad that someone had broken the flashlight rule and figured they knew we had been following them and left an uncle behind to catch us. I whispered, Don't say anything. We're trying to scare them. And whoever was there whispered back, Okay. That was it. They didn't say anything else just stood there waiting with us in the dark for what must have been 30 seconds to a minute before we took off after them. We never got close enough to scare them and heard them turning back around, so we hid in the woods and stalked them on the way back, scared them right outside the campground. Once everyone got to talking, it turned out that nobody had left their group and they never had a clue we were following, so they wouldn't have left anyone to catch us. I'm typing this on a mobile, so sorry for the text wall, but I'm more than happy to answer any questions. My stepson agrees we saw or heard the same thing. Where we had the encounter, we were pretty far down the dirt road. I'd definitely say at least a mile and a half away from the campground. We didn't see anyone else walking, and I don't think we ever have on one of these ghost walks. It's like the 10th year we had done it. It's stupid dark out there, and I can think of literally zero reasons why someone would be out there, hiding off the road while my family was walking past. And it was chilling when we found out it wasn't a relative, and we had stood there with whoever for what felt like a long time. I've had a few unsettling experiences that I think I've shared before, so I'll share one I haven't shared before instead. I used to work security, and several years ago, I was assigned to a remote construction site where a summer camp was being built. It was quite literally in the middle of the woods, roughly four or five miles into the forest, with only a single access road they'd been using to haul equipment and supplies and such. My job was to provide overnight security, do a foot patrol of the entire area, 
the patrol covered two miles in all. Roughly once every hour and then going back to my post. A tiny wood shack not much bigger than a phone booth to fill out my logs. Other than the occasional black bears and coyotes, it was a very boring assignment. With one exception. I was doing a routine patrol one night near the end of my shift, around 3 a.m. or so. I just passed the gate where the access road enters the site when I heard an extremely loud, piercing scream that seemed to have come from some distance down the road. It sounded like a woman screaming in absolute terror, so I immediately took off sprinting as fast as I could in that direction. I didn't hear anything else after the initial scream, but about a quarter of a mile or so down the road, I'm guesstimating here, I came upon a car parked just off the side of the road. There was no car in sight when I'd come through on my way to my shift, so it had to have been parked there fairly recently. Not running, no lights on, no doors open, nothing. I called out to see if anyone was there, but no answer. I looked around the general area and didn't see anything. Needless to say, I was pretty goddamn sketched out at this point. I ran back to my post and reported what I had seen and heard to the police since there wasn't really anything else I could do. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, nothing ever really came of it. I never found out whose scream I heard or what caused it. The car was apparently owned by a guy who lived in the area, but I never heard why it was there. My supervisor suggested that maybe I'd heard a mountain lion or other animals screaming, but I've heard these sounds before, and although they're definitely freaky, there's no mistaking an honest-to-goodness human scream. Not as freaky as the other stuff, but here's my contribution. I go hunting in southern Illinois on property that my family owns. The place is my second home, and I've spent countless hours exploring all around every inch of it. Caught all the fish in the area, hunted every legal game, and spotted the rest. So when I say that I've never had an experience like this, just remember that this was my domain that I felt comfortable in, in any weather, at any time, with any equipment, or lack thereof. Two deer seasons ago, I had pulled into the farm at probably about 4.40 in the morning, November, so at least two hours till sunlight. I pull my stuff out of the truck and walk into the woods. I have my shotgun and a revolver slash knife on my belt an elbow light clip to the front of me, a thermos of coffee, and a backpack with a book and a couple other things for cleaning my deer, should I get lucky. So, I walk off the drive and into the woods. The tree stand I'm going to is less than a mile away, but through some dense second-growth forest and down a rather steep hill across some bottoms, there is a lung-burning steep climb up to another ridge. I always dread the hike, but it's a good spot, so I often do it. I made it down to the bottoms, slush through the icy muck, and get to climbing. With my flashlight clipped to my chest, 
I keep needing to physically turn my body to throw the beam around and see trees that I recognize to determine my path. This of course always gives the forest a horror movie vibe, even on the best of days. The leaves and underbrush are encased in frost, so every one of my steps comes with a solid crunch, no matter how quiet I'm trying to be. This time, though, I noticed there was more noise than usual. Something else was crunching close by, too. I walked about a quarter of the way up the hill, listening to my company the whole time, seeming to stay the same distance away as I moved. Naturally, I think to myself that I'm going to have a quick hunting day, so I plop my ass down next to a tree. Can't shoot till first light, but I'm hoping if I stay really still, they, whatever I'm hearing, will lounge around until then. So I click my light off, unsling the shotgun, and lay it over my knees to wait. Except, I don't hear shit now. Whatever it was must have been spooked by my flashlight spinning all around as I sat. I still stayed a bit sipping some coffee to make sure, but give up after about 15 minutes or so of dead silence from the forest floor. I probably didn't make even four steps before the second moving thing starts again. At this point, I'm still not freaked out. I stay facing the way I am and flip the light off again and sidestep behind a tree. Sure enough, I don't hear anything again. Two minutes of sitting there, frustrated before I started moving again, and my friend does too. This is when I started to get freaked out, because I worked my way up the hill, stopping to turn and look every so often. When I stopped, the sound would go on for just an infinitesimally longer amount of time than my own steps, like something seeing me stop and doing its very best to stop before I heard it. This happened no less than four times, and by now I'm sweating bullets and freezing cold because I'm sweating bullets in the middle of winter. I abandoned my thermos near a tree so I could hold my flashlight and my revolver at the same time. The last hundred feet or so to my stand was done backwards so that I could be facing the noise and, in theory, keep it from moving. And I didn't hear shit again after that. Got up into my stand and smoked like five cigarettes in a row. It gave me a sense of security being up in a tree behind camouflage. Still, I only hunted for like an hour of daylight and went back early. And I wasn't freaking moving slow heading back to my truck, even with the sun shining bright. I haven't told my family about it because they wouldn't believe me, but damn, was it freaky. The sound and when it decided to happen felt very human, which it likely was as poachers and trespassers occasionally wander onto our property. Still. Ever since then, when I go hunting, I'm much better about letting people know where I'm going and for how long. I'm writing this story while it's still fresh in my mind. It occurred around midnight of Saturday, September 2nd. And each day that goes by, I feel more unsure about what I really heard that night. 
To preface, this took place in the Olympic Peninsula along the Hood Canal. My girlfriend's parents recently bought a beautiful riverfront property in the rural area down a private gravel road that has a few other houses here and there. The property is heavily forested on all sides, though the neighbor's houses are vaguely visible to both the left and right. The night was winding down after watching a movie. Everyone had gone to sleep while I lay awake playing on my phone. The windows were open, letting in the pleasant sound of the river bubbling outside. Close to midnight, I started hearing splashing in the water, which startled my dog, but was easily explainable as elk or deer crossing the river, since the area is very wild. However, after the splashing subsided, I started hearing a repeated animal cry that sounded like a sort of bellow mixed with a scream or yell. It's hard to remember exactly at this point in time, but it was deep. Not like a cougar or fox screaming and fast in cadence. Definitely odd, but still explainable as an animal. This happened for mm, 10 minutes or so, intermittently with what sounded like a huffing or snorting sound. I was alert at this point, listening and trying to calm my dog who was unsettled by the sound as well. As I listened, it started moving closer at first sounding like it was across the river, but now on the right side of the house. As it moved closer, it transformed into what sounded like a human screaming, help, in the most deranged, unsettling way possible. Like it was screaming help, but couldn't quite form or enunciate the words correctly. It literally gives me goosebumps thinking about it right now. At this point, I was thinking, what? in the hell and woke up my girlfriend we listened together in silence and rushed to wake up her parents when we both heard a pronounced help in the scream both dogs started going ballistic and the screaming stopped at some point in the commotion so her parents didn't get a good grasp on the sound after shining flashlights out the window we went downstairs and made sure all the doors and windows were locked after a sleepless night we woke up and walked the perimeter or the property and found no sign of animals or humans. I was half expecting to see bloody human remains or something with how intense the screams were. I imagine that's what a person being axe-murdered would sound like. At this point, I really regret not going outside, armed, to investigate. As I've spent the past two days constantly racking my brain trying to figure out what the hell that was. I've looked into every animal sound out there and haven't found a single thing that actually sounds similar to what we heard that night. I'd probably think I imagined the whole thing if my girlfriend hadn't heard it as well. I'd love to hear any thoughts and or similar experiences from this community. This is a story that my mother and aunts told me when I was in high school. I am 21 now and it has never left me. I think about it constantly and ponder over what happened. My grandfather passed close to a year ago in June of 2020. He was 96 when he died and it caused some issues in the family. 
They don't really pertain to the story, but there are some things about him that I have to share in order to explain the story in the best way. My grandfather, John, was a man who was extremely calloused and old-fashioned. He was bitter, abusive, and a complete macho man. My mother was raised on never showing emotion or pain due to his abuse and lack of compassion for others. He was also an extreme racist. He had many secrets in my family that are now coming to light after his death. Everything that happened around him was brushed off and forgotten because he had more important things to do, like drinking and having affairs. Just an overall intense and very no-nonsense type of man. He also was not religious at all and found things like faith and hope stupid. The story takes place sometime in the 70s, most likely early to mid-70s. My mom was born in 1965 and remembers this story very clearly. My aunt as well remembered this happening, but no one knows exactly what year. One summer day, John decided to take his family on a small outing with the intent to have a picnic in the woods. My mother, her three sisters, and her mother, my grandmother, were all there and very excited about this. Where we are from, my family is more than accustomed to the woods and has lived in this area for generations. Going into the woods for a fun family activity was nothing out of the ordinary and seemed to be just another normal day. They made their way down a dirt backwoods road and stopped once they found a clearing large enough to accommodate them. As all the kids started jumping out of the car and messing around as kids do after being stuck together, my grandfather began unloading their food and picnic supplies. John began surveying the area and deciding where to set up. As he was doing that, something in the woods past the clearing caught his eye. Before going to see what was out there, he yelled to the family and said he would be right back. The kids and my grandmother thought not much of this since they are used to the woods and these woods in particular were very familiar to them. They continued unloading and setting up the stuff they had brought. One of the girls pointed out something in the clearing that caused a sudden shift from a normal day to something far worse. It was a dirt mound that looked like something was buried under it. This mound was about the size of a small person, maybe even child size. It was too big to simply be any animal in these woods. There was nothing but squirrels and raccoons in the area. Scattered amongst the mound were larger river rocks. There was no pattern, but they were definitely placed on the mound intentionally. Also, the dirt seemed to be fresh, as though just buried. It was loose and slightly darker than the area around it. The mood immediately shifted from an average day in the woods to something much darker. My grandmother became concerned and told the girls to stay away from it. She was clearly upset and worried about it, but did her best to ignore it. The girls, all being children, didn't have the same amount of worry and continued playing while just avoiding the mound. They tried to return to their picnic, and the girls were already chasing each other in circles again. It was supposed to be a joyous, sunny day, and my grandmother wanted to keep it that way. Things seemed to return to normal for a beat. 
The trees around them created a wall of dense foliage, blocking their view from anything inside the forest. One of the girls again took notice of something strange. It was clear immediately what it was. Along one of the long branches of the tree hung a noose. It was tied with rope and hung high above their heads. A lump of dirt can be explained away by nature, but someone had to have placed the noose there. My grandmother stopped dead in her tracks when she first saw it. Something was wrong. Very, very wrong. They couldn't just pack up and leave. John was still out in the woods. Even children can recognize the noose as a symbol of death. The children started to become very anxious. Whatever innocence was keeping them from worrying about the mound had completely vanished. My grandmother, the resilient woman she is, soothed her children and told them it was just left by deer hunters. But she knew in her heart they needed to leave. No deer hunter would hang a deer and then bury it. At least no sane deer hunter. It wasn't until they started hearing something in the woods that they began to really panic. My grandmother, as well as all the children, began hearing a rhythmic chanting from deep in the woods. It sounded as though there was a group of people all singing in deep voices to the beat of a drum. It went in a quick bum, bum, bum pattern. Three steady beats followed by a pause and then it would repeat. It sounded far away, but immediately fear began to take hold of each of them. They each listened and gathered together. As the seconds passed, it began to increase in volume. It was getting not just louder, but closer. What started out as a distant echo soon began to engulf the entire clearing. My grandmother was terrified and wanted so desperately to leave, but John had yet to return. They waited, fear-ridden, as the sound began to fill their chests. It felt like they were at a concert as the deep bass began to vibrate in their chest. It was everywhere and constant, as though the sound was being made by the trees themselves, surrounding the family in every direction. Suddenly, the sound of yelling broke through the constant drone of chanting. John's voice was yelling out to them from the trees. Go! He yelled. Get in the car! He came running out of the woods, yelling that they needed to leave. They had never seen terror on this man as they had at this moment. He was a man afraid of nothing, unbothered by the world around him. This was the most emotion any of them had ever seen him before. He saw something in those woods, something that shocked his very being to the core. My grandmother began throwing everything back in the car as the kids got in as well. John and my grandmother picked up their things and as quickly as possible threw it all into the car. They had no care for the things they were packing up due to their fear. Food was all over the trunk and items were broken. After everything was tossed in, they both got in the car and drove away. This is where the main grunt of the story ends. But one fact from this story is what really has caused me to wonder all these years. My grandfather has refused to ever speak about what he saw. He never told any of the children or my grandmother. 
Every time this was brought up, he quickly rebuffed it and angrily told him not to ask again. He never went to the police or told someone outside of the family. My grandfather is the only person who knows what happened that day. When I first heard the story, I swore to myself I would ask him one day. Now I can't and regret it greatly. By the time I was in high school, he had moved out of the state with other family members, and I mostly lost contact with him outside of occasional happy birthday calls or letters. This story doesn't have an answer to go with it. When he died, the only thing I was sad about was never knowing what happened that day. We weren't close when I got older, and once I learned of all of the abuse he caused, I separated myself from him. His death looms over me, and this story still haunts me to this day. My mother and aunts just look back on it as a spooky memory from their childhood. Nothing more than a story to spook the little ones at Thanksgiving with. I am one of the only people in the family who is still curious about what happened. I have always been interested in mysteries, the occult, horror, and conspiracy theories. This story piqued my interest more than any others in my family. Which, by the way, this isn't the only strange story from my family, but it definitely is the most strange. I wish I had answers. I hope you all find this story as fascinating as I do. Thank you for listening to my weird story. The Lady in the Woods, 1987-2012 to 2012. All names have been changed. The following story is 100% true. The years listed above are the estimated dates that the story roamed free for me. It was the only time in my entire life that I ever questioned my own sanity and or my own perceptions. I ask that you read this story in full, as this is one of those few cases where there is an actual ending to the story. I'm writing this today because I believe this story is one we can learn from. Location Mid-Size City, located roughly two and a half hours southwest of Chicago. The town sits right on the Mississippi River bordering the state of Iowa. The Lady in the Woods was sighted at a small park, smack dab in the middle of town. The park is surrounded by roughly four to five acres of timber. Sometime in roughly 1993-1994 was the first time I heard about the Lady in the Woods. I was in fifth grade, hanging out with some other boys on the grade school grounds. The story is your typical ghost story. At Mel Park, our local hangout just blocks away, a child went missing after the sighting of a ghost, more specifically, the ghost of a woman dressed in all white. They didn't know the name of the child, but claimed it happened in 1987. Another boy chimed in. There was also an adult who went missing the night after a sighting of this same ghost a few years later. In both cases, the sightings happened after the park closed, well after midnight. The park is nestled in between neighborhoods, and there have been reports of people who have moved out of their homes after seeing the woman drift through the woods. There were other stories I heard in the years after that, including witchcraft, Satan worshiping, kidnapping, 
murder in the occult. The story gained more momentum when another boy in our class, a few months later, found a pentagram spray-painted on a tree on a path near the park. We actually rode our bikes out to see it. It was definitely there, crudely painted in what looked like a real hurry. It was one of those things where there was no real way to know if the pentagram was part of the story or was put there because of the story. When you're in fifth grade, you rarely stop to think these things through. You only see what's in front of you, and what I was seeing was definitely creepy. May 1995 A friend of ours named Michael lived only a block away from Mel Park. His parents decided to allow him to have a sleepover for his birthday party. He invited ten of us boys to stay the night, just doing what boys do. God bless those parents, by the way. That night, you can imagine where this thing headed. Michael knew all the Mill Park ghost stories. He lived the closest of all of us and had a neighbor who gave him all kinds of crazy information. Or so he claimed. He rehashed a lot of the stories we had already heard and even added a few others. After some time and as the clock made its way near 1 a.m., it finally happened. One of the boys suggested we sneak out, see if we could find this lady ghost. So that's exactly what we did. We all made it outside, quiet enough, and made our way to Mill Park. Once we made it to Mill Park, we broke up into groups. A few walked on to the overgrown Little League baseball field. A few headed towards the playground equipment, near the only streetlight in the park, by the way. Myself and another stayed in the parking lot nearest to Michael's house. Yes, we were the skittish ones. I wished I could give you all kinds of cool things we did, but in real life, it's not that cool. Essentially, we just kind of walked around, looking, waiting. Really, we had only been there for maybe 15 to 20 minutes when it happened. I kid you not, just like the story within minutes of us showing up it was like a lifetime movie there she was in the woods to my north i see what looks like a pale white woman white hair white flowing clothes and white pants in the night she looked to glow it was literally the perfect example of what you would think of as a ghost i've never been so scared in my entire life to this day, it is still the most terrifying moment I've ever been in. That includes an automobile accident. Everyone saw her. All ten of us. She stuck out like a sore thumb. We jetted. And I do mean we ran faster than any of us have ever ran before. All of us completely silent, moving at our fastest rate towards Michael's home and safety. I could embellish here and tell you that she chased us or made a move towards us, but I couldn't make it out like her head split in half and bees came flying out, but none of that happened. In fact, she was facing a different way entirely. I don't believe the ghost lady even knew we were there. She looked as if she was simply peering deeper into the woods, as opposed to staring out at us frightened little boys running away terrified. That was that. We all make it back safely. 
We spend the rest of the night worried this lady ghost is going to show up and kidnap us. She never showed. We return to school and the lady of the woods becomes a legend. All of us share the story. All of us back each other up. We even told one of our teachers. She politely listened and then changed the subject. It was the coolest, most terrifying thing that ever happened to us. We had one of the best campfire ghost stories in history. So, time passes like it always does. We move on from grade school to junior high, then to graduating high school. Once we got a little older, the story took a back seat to girls and just living life. I wouldn't say the story died. I know we spoke of it in passing. I know the story continued on in the grade school, at least for a short time after we left. One of the ten boys from the birthday party died of suicide shortly after high school, and it took everything in me not to blame this ghost story on that situation. I don't believe the two are related. We all move on to college. I lose touch with all but one of the ten, though a few I have on Facebook. 2010 After coming home from college and struggling to find my way in life, I finally started to get my act together. I find a full-time job, married my now wife, get a dog, and even had a couple of kids. Eventually, we purchased our first home, which so happens to be just blocks from my childhood house. I end up in a little tiny house two streets over from Mel Park. After those floating years, I end up back where it all started. On my days off, I walk my dog in the very park where the Lady of the Woods scared me to almost death. This is where you really start to question yourself and your senses. At 27 years old, I would stare at the location where I saw that lady glowing all those years prior and try to make sense of it all. Now older and much wiser, you spend a lot more time trying to fill things out rather than just reacting. How in the world did I see a ghost in sixth grade with nine other people who all say the same thing? I know it wasn't a dream. How could we be collectively dreaming? I know it was an imagination. It was really there. What I saw was real, but your brain has a funny way of making things fuzzy. It's hard to explain, but you start to question everything. You know it's real, but you know it's not. That sentence shouldn't be, but that's just how my mind would read the situation. It really was something that I wrestled with a bit, just trying to figure it all out. Summer of 2012. There I am, on another walk with my dog, coming up along the timber where I saw the lady in the woods all those years ago. I'm thinking of her again. I'm thinking of my childhood friends. I'm wondering if they ever think of that moment like I do. The thought passes as I move along a path that leads me out of the park. In front of me, a large trailer hooked up to a pickup sits in the driveway nearest the park's wooded area. There's a middle-aged man moving some things onto the trailer as I approach. He sees me and says, hello. I say hello back and then decided to make small talk. I ask him if he's moving. The man responds that he's just recently sold the home. It was his parents' house, and it had sold to a young couple. Closing was coming up shortly. 
I mentioned a few other things and then start to head off, but I stopped. Because that ghost story was on my mind, I decided to ask a man I didn't know if he knew the story. Why I did that is beyond me. It's definitely not something I would normally bring up in a conversation. But this house was the closest one to the sighting and I just needed confirmation that somebody else out there still knew the story. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I basically asked him if he ever heard the ghost stories. I'll never, in my remaining years, forget what happened next. The man looks at me and smiles. He tells me he heard those stories plenty. I'm actually relieved he had, because I didn't actually think, though, how the conversation would go if he had no clue what I was talking about. I then proceed to give him the shortened version of the story you just listened to. He listened and I could tell he was interested. When I finished, he takes a moment and responds. I used to live in this house before the park was built. My parents raised me here. I moved out in 1983 or 84. I believe the park was built somewhere between 84 to 86. And my parents have been here ever since. My dad passed away in 91, and it was just mom after that. That ghost you saw, that was my mom. I looked at him completely confused. He continues. My mom had some medical issues that started in the mid-80s and continued all the way up until she passed away this spring. The medicine they had her on would cause her to sleepwalk. I can't even count the amount of times I received calls in the middle of the night from the police department advising me that they had found my mother wandering in the park. I was told recently one of the neighbors moved out because they were tired of all the commotion. My sister lives in Texas. I could never get it through her thick skull that our mom needed to be moved to assisted living. So this went on for years. I found out from some friends that she had become a ghost story to the park. You see, my mom had a favorite robe that was all white and always slept in the same pearl silk pajamas. Everything was white. She even had white gloves she would put on from time to time. I can only imagine what that would look like in the middle of the night. That lamp over there over the playground would light her up like a Christmas tree so it was never hard for police to locate her. So you see, the ghost you saw, that was just mom sleepwalking probably. I bet I even got a call that night. I was speechless. The lady in the woods was real. She wasn't a ghost. She wasn't a dream. She was simply a woman. She was this man's mother lonely and suffering from some medical condition that had her wandering the woods at night. I only wished I knew more. I never saw that man again. The new couple moved in, probably oblivious to the ghost story its previous occupant had created. So I wonder, does her legend live on? Is there some fifth graders right now hearing the story for the first time of the lady in the woods? How she appears and kidnaps children? How there is a witch who murders those who see her in the middle of the night? 2021 I've moved from that tiny house to a new bigger house in a new city. 
I no longer visit Mill Park. I never did learn that lady's name, and I always kick myself for not asking the man more questions. The thing that I find so interesting is how a story can become what it is. How one event or story can impact individuals like it did me. I still think of that lady all the time. When the story rolls out that seems impossible, the lady in the woods comes to my mind. Sometimes the story is real, but the context is muddled. This single event impacted my approach to everything. I listen, I take in all of the story I can, if it seems possible. I hold my tongue. Maybe it is possible, or maybe it's just being interpreted wrong. Thank you for listening. And that, dear listeners, brings an end to these true backwood creepy stories. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you are awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves. I'll be reading to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 